Okay. So, um, so last weekend I was on a drive um, early-ish Saturday morning to Muncie and on the highway ended up behind a truck that had these giant letters <laughs> that Joel is smiling because I sent a picture to my friends. <laughs> these giant letters um, that took up the whole back window in what I assume was size 3000 impact style font, all capital letters that said King Jesus, <laughs> which I think you have to say that way because of the way it was written. <laughs> I think if I remember correctly, I groaned and said, oh no. <laughs> and I, I do want to say that scripturally, <laughs> I, there's, there's nothing wrong or incorrect with saying, or the moniker King Jesus. I think it's probably one of those things where there's a real spectrum of well, belief on like how to approach that particular, um, particular phrase or term. And, th and that's one of those good things about, um, about coming together and chatting about where we're at and what we think, but I have found myself in the camp of folks that have steered away from words like king and kingdom, often um, using words like kingdom instead, um, just because in a world where Christianity and our faith has been usurped by patriarchy and nationalism, um, it just doesn't feel comfortable for me to contribute to our story that way. Just like I think some people after considering the gender of God still choose to use he um, and some don't, some may consider the title of Jesus and still choose to use king and some won't. I think today's text is a really cool and interesting text that not only gives us a snippet into the passion story that we're continuing to walk through, but I think contributes to this discussion. Um, a little bit about the title of Jesus and also our pre-Lenten discussion about who Jesus is, the first enfleshed Christ. It gives us an opportunity to imagine um, Jesus and beyond titles um, in, in his own words. Before we get started, I'd like to pray. Loving God, I know that I am guilty as anyone of uh, shrinking up and uh, getting frustrated when I am um, approached by or confronted with um, thoughts or words or beliefs that I don't agree with or make me uncomfortable and choose to disengage often. And I pray this morning that we are given rest from those moments. If others feel like those moments are ones that they um, find themselves a part of too. I pray that we are able to move beyond like squabbling over semantics so that we can really um, just be curious and imagine 
who you are. Um, and sit in what's more important than the words that we use. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Um, we're going to be continuing in John this morning in chapter 18, if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles or open those Bible apps. We'll be in verse 28 to start, and I'll be reading from the NRSV that's helpful for you, but you can use whatever version you prefer. And we're just going to read through verse 38. John 18, 28. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, if this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him. So as our story continues, we see Jesus being handed over to Roman authorities by Jewish leaders. And there are some pretty interesting things, I think, to note in this really small passage. First, that the leaders turn him into Pilate, but they won't enter the Praetorium, the headquarters where Pilate is at, because it would make them unclean and they wouldn't be able to participate in the Passover meal. Some commentators point out the irony of this, given that they're literally defiling themselves by turning over the son of God. It seems silly that they're worried about entering a building. And when Pilate asks them what the charges were against Jesus, they give him this non-answer. Well, if he weren't a criminal, we wouldn't hand him over. So like, basically, like, we've decided he's guilty. Isn't that enough? Like, just, just do what we ask. 
And at this point, I kind of think it's interesting that Pilot seems to always be portrayed as this like skeezy, immoral character in the story, because we see these Jewish leaders doing something kind of gross. If anything, he seems kind of like a confused man that's getting taken advantage of by this group of men. Jewish leaders couldn't condemn or couldn't kill Jesus, but they just condemned him. So they hand him over to a Roman authority that could do it, which happens to be Pilate. They're keeping their hands clean of killing him. And to get Pilate to go ahead and kill him, they claim that he is a criminal. The original Hebrew word holds even more weight than this English translation of criminal translation of criminal. Um, other translations were depraved, injurious, and worthless something really, really bad. They won't even enter the praetorium because of their rules about uncleanliness, but they're actively facilitating the the death of the man that they're just frightened of. And so this like role that Pilate plays, I think often of being this like gross kind of skeezy guard is, is interesting to me. But during this exchange, Jesus says nothing. Once inside with Pilate, then he starts to answer some questions. And, and a side note, which I also think is interesting, is that some people think that John does decide to enter the Praetorium. And that's how we have this documentation of this exchange. And so despite the repercussions of uncleanliness, someone does decide to stay with Jesus in these moments. And in this exchange between Pilate and Jesus, we do see Jesus kind of do the same thing that the Jewish leaders did moments before. In answering Pilate's questions, he also doesn't answer Pilate's questions. When when Pilate asks him if he is king of the Jews, Jesus responds with his own question. Are you asking because you're wondering yourself or did someone else tell you about me? And in a moment when he could have confirmed his place, his role, perhaps even made an argument that he is king of the Jews, he's not posing a threat to some sort of political authority, he decides not to. When pushed by Pilate, he doesn't claim the title king. What he does say when Pilate seems to maybe get frustrated and push him further is that his kingdom is not of this world that Pilate and the others are the ones that are calling him a king. But in reality, he was born to bring the truth, whatever that means, that anyone that listens to him hears the truth. And I think it's interesting that he answers this way, that he doesn't claim any sort of title, even though he does say his kingdom. And it's this moment where I think we could get kind of caught up in vocabulary and semantics. And I think probably people have (laughs) for a long, long time and people probably will continue to do so. But I just think it's a moment where we have an opportunity to just listen to Jesus and see what he's telling us about himself. That he's giving us an opportunity to consider his place as one that extends beyond the constraints of our own understanding and vocabulary. That being Christ is not actually being a king. 
a king would have been, and maybe still is for a lot of people, the position that has the most power, a person that rules and requires obedience is entitled to authority. A title at the time, like that made sense to be applied to him. What could be greater? Even if it doesn't quite make sense for who he was, what else could Jesus have been called? The one that was sent to carry Christ to be the Messiah, the savior using the word King would have been a way to redefine a title that had been used to harm people under Roman authority. It was kind of subversive if it was used to apply to Jesus. And I do kind of like that. I'm all for like reclaiming words and reclaiming things um, and making them new or giving them um, definitions that um, are more accurate. But it just still doesn't feel like that's what Jesus is telling us to do right here. The way he answers gives us some pause. The way he doesn't answer, I suppose, gives us some pause. When Jesus talks about his kingdom, he says that if it were on earth, people would be fighting to keep him free and safe. And it doesn't sound like he's implying some sort of forced service to a patriarch. They wouldn't be required to, just that they would be, like a voluntary obedience to the one that they love. Something any of us might do for the person that we love. So when Pilate says, so you are a king, it's like Jesus is saying, if that's all you've got, sure. But also, no, it's not really right. I'm the bringer of truth. And we don't have a good word for that. (laughs) Not even now. (laughs) Even my preferred kingdom isn't right. But many choose to use that. I choose to use that because of the emphasis on relationship, which I think Jesus provides here. That illustration he gives about his followers fighting for him, the bond that people have with their kin, their family, the love that would cause us to fight for each other, to fight for the truth. Jesus's realm is one of truth, one of love and kinship of relationship. He would have been protected by those in that realm because he is the one chosen to bring it to others, to extend it beyond where it was. This feels like one of the last times Jesus himself gets to explain to us what it means that he is the Christ. He doesn't use the phrase very truly in this moment because I think that time has passed. Like if we haven't gotten it by this point, like (laughs) that's on us but he uses this moment to tell us to remind us he is the bringer of truth and I think Pilate gets it he ends his time with Jesus by asking what is truth and he leaves the praetorium before Jesus can answer now he could be speaking about the truth of the matter at hand, like is Jesus guilty of something that he doesn't know? But it feels more like this bigger capital T truth that he's talking about. It feels like more of an existential question. I like, when I was reading it, I had this image, this like dramatic, like movie theater image of like some guy, like in a, um, 
like an ex- like a examination room in a like crime documentary or crime movie. Like he's been trying to get this guy to com- like admit to something and he just like realizes like he's not going to like there's something way bigger going on and he just says what is truth and like walks out the door <laughs> like there's just like there's nothing Jesus could could say um in that moment that would be helpful for him because he knows he's in the presence of something great really big Jesus doesn't fight back or deny like other prisoners. And so perhaps Pilate being presented with this man with Christ is really unsettled. He knows what's going to happen. I think Pilate, he knows he's going to go out um, to the crowd. He knows what the next few minutes are going to look like. And so there's no point in waiting for Jesus to answer. So he goes out to address the crowd and he says, I find no case against him. And and I think we all, many of us know what happens next. Pilate offers the crowd the opportunity to let Jesus go free because there is a custom at Passover where they could let someone go. But the crowd chooses the thief Barabbas instead. So in the moment that Jesus is condemned, Jesus doesn't plead for his life, but he takes the opportunity to share with one last person, one person that maybe doesn't make sense at all to be the person to share this, this knowledge with, but one last person, he takes that moment to invite that person into the family, the kingdom that he talks about. He takes another moment to show us what it is to be Christ. So I don't think this passage really is about not using the word king. I think that's a pretty small way to look at this text. I think this argument, this text allows us to think that all titles are probably too small for Christ. That the story is bigger than using any role or title. I think it confirms for us that nothing we've got to describe Jesus is more accurate than simply Christ. And it just led me to wonder, as we continue to walk to the cross with Jesus, what it does mean for us to follow a man that wouldn't claim the title king, even in the moments of his condemnation, to consider the way he described himself and us the followers, the ones that should be or would have been fighting for his freedom. If he says his followers would have been fighting for his freedom, then what does that mean for us now? How might we fight for Christ's freedom today? Not a king's freedom, not someone with political or social power, but for Christ's freedom. And so I'll leave that for us to consider this week. Okay, if you would like to get your communion elements, whatever they are, we will engage in the Lord's table together, come to the